Welcome to the Aurora Cornerstone Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. In just a moment, we're going to be reading from our text today is found in Isaiah, the book of Isaiah. So I invite you to turn to chapter 6 of Isaiah. In the meantime, let's watch this video. You know, I know a friend of mine who he always complained when he was chopping wood. He said his back always hurt him afterwards. And uh, one time he was chopping wood and the next day he woke up and you know what, his back didn't hurt. The problem was with his ankle. His ankle was killing him and he couldn't figure out why. So you know, he goes to the doctor and the doctor checks him out and you know, the doctor's telling him, well, you know, everything's connected, right? That what you did to your back you know, affected your ankle because those two parts of you are connected. Maybe start thinking, I, I think the body of Christ is just like that. You know, with my friend, he did something to his back and he thought that it would only affect his back. We have that same thing happen to us. We have our own little secret personal sense and everybody has them. You know, uh, whether it's being an, an internet junkie or you know, whether you're prideful, you know, maybe you're an alcoholic or whatever in between. You know, we all deal with something. The point is, are we dealing with it or are we burying it? Because if you're burying it and you don't think it's going to affect anybody, the reality is that it will. I remember a story I heard about a guy who inadvertently got sucked into internet pornography and we've all heard stories like that but the difference was that his wife at the same time that he was dabbling in this his wife started getting these really intense migraine headaches she didn't change anything she had never had them before it's just really odd and in the midst of that God spoke to him and he showed him that what he was doing on the internet and his wife's headaches, they were both connected. And the guy thought about it and, you know, and he decided that he wasn't going to do that stuff on the internet anymore. And that same day, that same day, his wife's headaches went away and she never had another one since. You know, it, it makes me wonder how many Christians are out there thinking that Oh, well, you know, I don't have any secrets and I don't, I don't have anything like that that affects me. You know, even, even the things that I'm dealing with, they're not hurting anybody. You know, I really wonder, is that really true? What do you think? As we grow in the faith, I believe we grow in understanding that there's a lot of stuff connected. A lot of the things that happen here in the material is connected to something spiritual. And open portals in the spiritual affect what takes place in the physical. We can't compartmental, we can't separate those two. They are interlocked, intertwined. 
and they do affect. The series that we have engaged in as a family here really comes from the scripture in Galatians chapter 5. And in Galatians chapter 5 it says, verse 1, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Jesus hasn't paid the price for our sins just to free you from your sins. Can I say that again? I think we missed it. If you didn't miss it, you can say, if, if you get it, so you can say amen in there somewhere, okay? <laughs> Jesus hasn't just paid the penalty for our sins just so we can be free from our sins. Amen? You know where I'm going with this? He paid the penalty for sin so that we can live free. It wasn't simply escapism. You've maybe seen you know, or heard stories of people who get, they've been incarcerated a long time, and they get out of jail, and it closes behind them, and they have nowhere to go. <laughs> that's not it with the Lord. When he sets us free, that's why it says, it says, it was for freedom Christ set us free. It wasn't just to get you out of jail. It just wasn't to set you free from, from something that was really bugging you. It was for the purpose of Freedom. It was the purpose in which he's created us, in which he breathed life into us, and his spirit, Zoe, gave us a purpose and a future, a destiny. That's why he set you free. Not simply to be absent from sin, but to embrace living. And those that think when they serve Christ, they give up living, oh my goodness, then who have you been watching? Where have you been reading this? Because I've discovered in Christ Jesus, living begins the working of his miraculous power flowing daily in life is living. The other stuff is not. It's just trying to find something to sedate me. So come back to that scripture. It's the text. Galatians 5.1. Remember it. Mark it down. Put it on, put it on, write it on your hand. Write it on the person's collar in front of you. Somehow, remember this. Galatians 5.1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free for the purpose. So therefore, stand firm. Don't be washed to and fro. Don't let yourselves be burdened again. Don't take up the burden of slavery. Don't take up the past things. Don't keep wallowing. It was for freedom that Christ has set us free. Hallelujah. Well, uh, that's the series, and I've been taking that, again, was made mention in the video announcements there's a book, a workbook. I believe we have a couple copies. If we run out of those copies this morning, we'll order them, have them back, more copies for next week. It's $45. It's five lessons. In those lessons, you will be given video links. And in that video link, in that email, you'll have an email directly to my email. Directly to my email if you have any questions, if you have any concerns. You can just click and you can ask questions. I'd welcome a dialogue with anybody who's journeying through your books. If, if you're experiencing... Uh, there's been moments of enlightenment. Maybe you have some questions, some comments. I would welcome that, and that's why I put my personal email that you can link, and we can correspond that way. Uh, those emails, those video links will only be up every two weeks at a time. And then at the end, on November the 9th, we have our regional retreat back here 
right here at Cornerstone Church. It's the region. The closest one next to us will be in London. Next one to that, actually the week before, is in Moncton, New Brunswick. And there's some going on the retreat. If you've been part of that course before, you can come to the retreat. We are taking information forms are made available. It's important to go through that. If you haven't, to go through it again. And I just am knowing that whom the sun sets free is, finish it for me. Free indeed. indeed. Not just absence from incarceration, but to live life to its fullest. I don't know about you. That's where I'm at. I don't want anything less. It doesn't even attract me if it's anything less. I want to live life what God has planned for me to live it to the fullest. And that's what he has offered and offers us today. Today, the text that we had, and I invited you to go there earlier, was in Isaiah chapter 6. I'm going to get to that in a moment. I've discovered there are some three fundamental hindrances that, that hinder me from living a life of freedom. The text today is leading us into, my, my title is called, uh, Committing Everything to God. Now, easier said than done, I know. Committing everything to God. So there are hindrances, and I've, I, don't, I don't think it has to be made complicated. Three basic hindrances. Three things that keep me from committing everything. Number one, things. Stuff. Wanting something bigger, wanting something better, wanting something upgraded, just wanting something. Things. And we're inundated with things. And of course, they know how when you go on Facebook to know exactly what it is you want. And they'll pop it up in front of you so... Oh, I need that, and I need that, and I need that, and I need that. Things. Oh, it so easily moves into our heart. Things hinder us from committing everything to God. Things get in the way of committing everything. When, when people are not living all out for God, it could be that things are in the way. Scripture found in Matthew chapter 6 says, Don't fret about the things of life, but put your trust first in God. Things is number one, number one hindrance. Number two hindrance are people, are others. Now, God wants us to live in relationship. And there are healthy relationships as well as there are unhealthy relationships. And there are those of us here this morning in a crowd this size, I know that one of the hindrances that is keeping you from being fully committed to God is you are into some unhealthy relationships. And therefore, you can't embrace all of God. That's number two. Number three is you, (laughs) yourself. We're our own worst enemies. You know, when we think we can't do it, when when God says, I want you to commit everything to me, and we say, but I can't. I'm weak. I keep failing. And we are often our own worst enemy. One of the worst enemies. One of the hindrances to committing everything is me. And just believing that I can't do it. I will fail. I will fall short. And so those three things, you know, God, God knows what he has given you. And he has given you more than enough, all of us, to be able to commit everything to him. That really excuse really doesn't hold up. So let's go to Isaiah. And I want to read this story. This is a story that many of you may be familiar with. If you have it, I think we have it here in front of you as well. But if you have it in your devices, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, follow with me. In the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah speaking, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, 
seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I'm ruined, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people with unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with live coal in his hand, which he had taken from the tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sins are atoned for. Verse 8, our key verse. Then I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Who shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. Father in heaven, I just ask that you would open our hearts to understand this this morning. Not based on on something that maybe we've read or believe we understand, but God, give us fresh eyes to look at this today. By the anointing of your Holy Spirit, illuminate your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's start with a story. His name is Bruce. He, uh, true story. I don't know where, if it was in, I think it was southern U.S. someplace. Let's say Georgia. He tells the story story unfolds like this. He, he was living by this principle of committing everything. And he actually would make it a habit and made it a habit of his life that when he got up in the morning that he would say to the Lord, please, Lord, use me today. Please, Lord, send me today to impact people, to impact others. Every day. He believed it. He prayed it. This particular day, he had gone to visit his mother Again, let's say it's southern Georgia. I'm not sure if it's in Georgia. And he was coming back. It was dark. It was hot. It was a sticky night. Uh, and he was just remembering, oh, Lord, I just keep it open. Please send me to people today. He was turning off the off-ramp from the freeway, getting onto another road, and there was an older van that was stopped, and a man was waving him down, wanting him to stop. This man uh, was East Indian background, had a turban on, and Bruce stopped, and the man came over and said, can you help me? Can you help me? And Bruce noticed that he was, he was sweating profusely, and he was really disturbed. And, and Bruce said, come on in. I, I'm air-conditioned car. Come on in. Let's figure this out. So the man came, sat down in the car, and they began to talk about it. And, and so Bruce asked, what happened? The man says, well, my van broke down, and I called tow truck, but the tow trucks won't come at nighttime, unless you have cash. And I don't have any cash. He says, I've been here for hours. And Bruce says, you mean no, no, said nobody stopped? And he says, nobody, I mean, mostly, he said, I have had people, the things that they have said, and I just want to, I don't want to take it out of context. He says, they drive by. He says, they have given racial slurs, profanities. They have cursed my mother. And they have thrown things out the window. And then Bruce remembered, he had prayed, please, Lord, send me. And he knew this was it. And Bruce said he knew it was not a coincidence that he stopped. He knew this was not just an act of charity. 
there was a defeated man sitting right beside him. And he was an answer to Bruce's earlier prayers. God had asked Bruce to talk to this guy. And so Bruce turned to him and said, I'm sorry, sir. Hours of that would have been extremely painful. If you'll allow me, I want to apologize for everything spoken in disrespect to you. You didn't deserve it. And the man, Bruce said, the man looked at him out of the corner of his eye like, are you for real? And Bruce went on. He says, so please forgive us. That's not who you are. Nor is it what everybody thinks about you either. So Bruce talked a little bit longer and he proceeded uh, on his armrest. He pulled out an envelope and in his envelope he had cash. And Bruce handed the cash to this man and he said, here is something for the tow truck and a little more to get your van fixed. It's money I've been carrying for someone else, but I've reason to believe that you're to have it today. And so the man was pretty amazed. He was, he was thankful. And when he was getting out of the vehicle, he uh, uh, you know, wanted to get Bruce's address so he could send him the money back later. Bruce said, no, don't send me the money. No, I'm not going to give you my address. He said, that's yours. That's for you. And the man got up and began to walk. And he turned around. He came back. He came up to the window. Bruce rolled the window down. And the man said, sir, with all sincerity, he said, sir, are you an angel? Bruce said he smiled. Never heard that one. He smiled and he said, no, no, I'm just like you. I'm just like you. But I know I was to be here today. And then the man asked the second question. He said, it was God who sent you, wasn't it? And Bruce said, yeah. Yeah, God sent me to you. Now, when I heard this story and other stories that had been a part of my life, nowhere, is, no, nowhere near as dramatic as this one, it reminds me that God has not only called us to live a life to be set free, He has called us to live a life to be miraculous. He's called us to intersect with people and the miracles of heaven will open up. We want to see miracles? I believe there's a formula here about how you're going to see miracles. Where are the miracles? But you're looking for them in the wrong place. we got to go back to the biblical text of where miracles take place. What transpires prior to the miracle and where do miracles evolve from? And in this story is a prime example of God using him based on his position of being willing. Being willing. God wants to send, I believe, all of us on miracle missions. I really do believe that. And it wouldn't surprise me that there could be multiple ones in a day, in a given day. Not just once in a lifetime. Miracle missions sent by God. It's kind of exciting. It's kind of frightening, isn't it? You see, it's not simply enough to tell God, God, I'm willing. I believe you've got to go farther than that. And there's the problem. Most believers, most followers of Christ say, God, I'm willing. You know, use me in whatever way you want. And we go on in life serving ourselves. Mm, doesn't work that way. If we look at the text, we see some things flowing from the text. Because it's not enough to simply be willing. We have to actually, I believe, we have to actually do what Isaiah did. We have to actually ask God. The word here actually means plead with him. God, send me on a miracle mission today. It changes everything. 
That little prayer changes everything. It's not enough to be willing. We have a whole world of willing people. We have to pray the prayer regularly. Send me on a miracle mission. Send me. There's a direct link between that little prayer and miracles because it opens up something in the heavenly. It's, it's as if it invites us into the terrain, the landscaping that is brimming with miracle opportunities because they're all around us. They really are. We just don't see them. And they're around us and we don't take advantage of it because we're not ready. Frequently, frequently. You and I need to enter the throne room of God's grace daily and ask, please, Lord, send me. When I got a hold of this in my life, it changed everything. And I began to put post-it notes and sticky notes. I began to put things in front of me. I put in my notes. I put in my Bible. I put in margins. That was commissioning me for the day. It was reminders that I needed to not just know I was called, but I was asking God today, today, September 29th, send me on a miracle mission, God. Send me. And I'm looking for it. I'm anticipating. I'm expecting the miracle to flow through him to me to others today. I hear someone here saying, well, why do I need to ask God to go? Hasn't he already commissioned me that in the Great Commission? You know, the Great Commission, it says, go into all the world and preach the good news to all people. He's already commissioned. Why do I need to ask him? But have you noticed that although many have been told to go, very few are going? Have you noticed? Yes, we've all been commissioned, but few are doing anything about it. Few are seeing people coming to Christ. Few are impacting people with miracles of forgiveness. Few are impacting people with the power of being able to release a debt. Few are able to do that. So we say, yes, I'm called into the commission to go into all the world, but we're really not. We're really not. And this takes me back to the prophet. Here's an example. I started last week when I was talking regarding the Father's love and walking in the Spirit. And, and, and I took you to uh, another prophet, Prophet Micaiah. And he was given a glimpse into the throne room of God of this conversation taking place, almost like a business meeting, an agenda unfolding. And he heard God begin to talk about, listen, we're going to get King Ahab out of the way. Um, I'm open to suggestions. Volunteers. And then one came forward and volunteered. You read the story. We talked about it last week. Now, we have another illustration. Isaiah. One of the major prophets. Chapter 6. And you have him also in a vision. And he has a glimpse inside heaven. Isn't this important? If we're to understand the heart and the mind of our Father, we have to understand what's going on in the celestials in the, in the other realm. And so in that place, we have this picture. Isaiah's taken into this place of a glimpse. And in there, he's standing before God. And in that picture of standing before God, it says he was high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. This is the atmosphere where Isaiah is. And, and there's music and there's sounds and they're calling back and forth of angels crying out, holy, holy. And it was a powerful moment. And smoke was all over the room. Smoke was coming up. There's smoke everywhere. That's what he was transported to. And in that context, in that context, Isaiah was given the opportunity to witness what was going on. Something very strikingly similar to 
what the prophet Micah, Micaiah had seen. And God's at work, and he's looking for a volunteer. And verse 8, and then he hears, he hears a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? That's the context. Who shall I send, and who will go for us? And Isaiah immediately responds, Hear my, send me. Hear my, send me. The, the phrase, hear my, send me, is from the Hebrew imperative, which means it's an intense cry, a longing to be sent. So he just didn't say, uh, okay, here am I, I'll go. No, 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 no. That's not, that's not what happened. When the Lord asked, when the Lord asked uh, the question of uh, who can I look for, who, who can I send, who will go, when the Lord asked that question, Isaiah hollers out. He cries out, the text says. He says, from the longing of his heart, God send me. I desperately need to go. From the longing of his heart. Now here's the part that I find funny. He doesn't even know where he's going. God hasn't even told him what's going on. How many of us, <laughs> myself, would say, and what is it you want me to do? Right? Come on. Wouldn't that be what you'd be asking? What is it you want me to do? Before we say yes. But did you know Isaiah just threw himself into there and said, yes, I'm going. And he hasn't even been told. You ever wonder how that took place? I have a theory. Because of what just had happened. Remember, he had just witnessed the awesome glory of God. He was in the throne room. God was high and lifted up. Train filled the temple. Smoke everywhere. Holy, holy, holy. Worship taking place. And God said, who will go? Yes! Do you see the correlation? doesn't matter what you ask. Because whatever you ask, you'll give the capacity to do. And many times we stumble here. We don't think I have the capacity to do it. And Isaiah didn't even ask what the mission was. He just said, send me. I want to go. Send me. And he cried out to the Lord to be sent. You know, uh, he cried out, send me. And initially I thought, well, it's two questions, but really isn't God asking the same thing? He says, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? But actually they're not the same question. Not all who are sent choose to go. Do you see the difference? So it wasn't enough simply to be sent because not all who are sent go. Neither do we today. Not all who are sent go. I think of Jonah, another prophet, and God sent him to go to what city? Somebody tell me. Nineveh. But he went the other direction. God sent him. He didn't go. He ran. Not everybody who's sent goes. That's why this is really two distinct questions. Who will I send? More importantly, who will actually go? Because everybody's got the commission to be sent, to make a difference, to impact the world for Jesus. But only a few actually end up going. Now remember our topic, we're living free. We want to live freely. Our topic, committing everything to God. Everything. Not just what we determine, but everything. Isaiah's answer here to say, here am I, send me, embodies the truth of the heart of God, and it's this. God is looking for men and women who commit their everything to God 
and want to do heaven's work so much that they earnestly request, they ask, if you would, they beg to be sent. And they ask and they act on what they ask. So I want to close this off because I don't want to make this more complicated than it really is, this story. I believe there's four steps that take us from where we are today to being yes people who go when we're sent. There are four things. I take it from this story. I wrote these down. I want to give them to you. Number one, four simple steps that take you from a regular yes to, to the place of going. Number one, consciously enter the throne room of heaven. If we have not and do not and continue to encounter his glory, we won't go. You'll come up with every excuse to not go because you're not compelled to go. This whole event, verse 8, takes place after those first four to five verses where he was in the throne room of God, and it took place after a dear friend of him died, a king, that Isaiah's in this dramatic, difficult time of his season of his life, that this story unfolds, and then he's taken up into this vision, and he stands before God, and the Bible says that he is high and lifted up. He's high, and his train is everywhere. His glory, the, the king's train speaks of his magnificence. And Isaiah very poignantly talks about his magnificence is everywhere. You know, just right there, we just want to say, God, I thank you. I, I give you praise. I speak of your goodness. I speak of your glory. I speak of your righteousness and your greatness. There is none beside you. There is none close to you. And we begin to honor his goodness and honor his greatness. Not just respect him, but we praise him. We flow into a place where we are undone. That's where Isaiah claps his mouth and goes, this is too much for me. Too much for me. His glory filled the temple. And smoke is everywhere. And I have to happen to believe the smoke usually takes place so that we don't get the full-on glory of God. That it's shielded. It's screened somewhat. And there's smoke everywhere. And these angels are crying and they're back and forth holy and they're praising God, praising God. Here's the, key, here's the, here's the thing. We can't under state the importance of getting into that place consciously entering into the throne room of God and knowing him and that is a decision and it's an option for all of us I choose to do it first thing in the day because I can't then say please send me today to people if I haven't started with it then the day's already taken off on me and if I do it at the very end of the day it's a little too late I'm going to bed so I purpose to do that early, to do that first, and to make that early part not distracted with anything else, getting alone with him and getting to that place where I behold him and in his word I read of him. I read of things. I go into the places of, of who he is and, and understand better my God. And in doing that, then I flow into the place of praying those things that I'm seeing and I'm learning and I'm beholding him. And my heart is enraptured and, I'm, and I'm, there's that sense of worship. And frequently... A song comes to my mind and I begin to sing that song or play that song and I begin to worship him and I begin to call on his name. The first part, consciously enter the throne room of God. That's what Isaiah, from this vantage point, the rest of it takes place. 
That's why you get to the place. When God begins to redirect your paths, you're quick to say yes because you had such an encounter with him. But if we don't have an encounter with him, then when he tries talking, we're pushing back the whole time. But when we've had that, Isaiah had such an encounter, God was so big in his eyes that no matter what God said, he knew he could do. No matter what it was, he could do it because he had an encounter in worship. The power of worship, the power of worship, the power of praise and worship. Secondly, volunteer with the words, here am I, send me. And I actually mean that. It doesn't have to be those, those five words, but it should be something similar. It can be, please, Lord, send me. God, use me today. I pray for a miracle. I volunteer. My answer is yes. Today I go. Those can be words that just, you change them up. But actually say, post it, write it, do it. If we don't, we won't. So that actually comes to the place, Isaiah would actually say, here am I, send me. Now God already knows the minds of all of us. Why do we need to say anything? You know, it's kind of like the person who got married and after years of marriage, the wife didn't feel like she loved him anymore. And, you know, I, how come you never say I love you? Love, I love you, you know, complaining to her husband. And he said, well, I sit it at the altar and if I change my mind, I'll let you know. <laughs> no, 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 no. You got to say it a whole whack more than that. You got to keep saying and keep demonstrating that you love her, that you love him. And likewise, sometimes when it comes to God, we think, you know, God, you know I'm available. You know where I live. You can hit me. You really don't want him to hit you. <laughs> you really don't want him to do all those things. So what he did was he just lined himself up and says, he regularly said to God, God, here am I, send me. Please use me today to touch somebody. God, let the miracle flow through me today. He said it. It became a part of his first part of the day. This was something in which Isaiah spoke those words, here am I, please send me on a miracle mission. And really, James 5, verse 16, it says, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. When you turn that into a request and a prayer and you ask God to do it, he does it. He knows he can do something with you because you've made yourself fully, not only available to be sent, but willing to go. Number three, pre-commit to act when God nudges you. And I, the key word here is pre-commit. Pre-commit. Uh, Pre-commit to do it. Say to God, God, you lead, I will respond no matter what. I, I commit ahead of time that when you nudge me, the answer is yes. Okay? Now, I, I found this true for me. Why do I say this? No matter how, where, or when God signals his will, you've decided in advance you're going to do it. In fact, you've decided in advance that the greater risk is not misreading his nudge. The greater risk is being sidetracked by rationalization. If I don't pre-commit, I'll rationalize it later. Do you do that too? I do. I rationalize it. And so when the time comes, even though I've got right motive, right heart, opportunities unfold in front of me, and I come up with a reason why I can't do it. So if I pre-commit ahead of time, and that was the way I found benefit ahead of time, that Lord, when you nudge, I'll do it. 
I pre-commit. And then when you get that nudge, you're kind of going, okay, I naturally want to come up with an excuse right now, but I pre-committed. I wouldn't give an excuse, so you just do it. And it helps. It really does. It helps me. Uh, Brings me to number four. Then actively put your faith in God to deliver his miracle through you. Put your faith in God that he will deliver his miracle. Believe him. Because miracles come from faith, not just good intentions. So I place my faith that God, you will do it. I place my active faith that God will deliver a miracle through me. That he can actually use me today. Why? Why do I do that? Because fear is knocking at my door. And when those opportunities come, fear breathes all over me. And I am intimidated. I'm fearful. And, and it's easy to say no. It's easy to turn away, and that moment disappears. The moment disappears. I encourage you. Be a sent one, where you trust the Lord to deliver the miracle through you. And finally, I, I'm going to add one more, I guess, here. I think we need to talk about people at this point. My expectations of miracles and God's plan for a miracle, my expectations and God's plan seldom line up. Oftentimes, when he needs me to do something, I have to make a choice. And the choice is not between good and bad. The choice that I have to make is a choice between doing something good and doing something miraculous. Are you following? I can do something good. It's not bad. Or I can do something miraculous. And that choice is presented to me regularly. And so seldom does God's timing and those things line up. Let me give you some illustrations. Let me use Jesus. He's the best illustration right here. Remember Jesus was walking through the crowd. We get it in the New Testament. Jesus was walking through the crowd. Things are happening. Miracles are taking place. It's during the daytime. And Jesus notices somebody up in a tree. Now he has a choice. He has a choice to keep going. The person up in the tree never called to him. Nobody's drawn his attention to the person up in the tree. He can keep going. A good choice. He's doing good things. But there's a nudge of the Holy Spirit. Remember Jesus, although he's the son of God, he surrendered his deity so he can live in humanity here on earth. And so he was nudged by the third person of the Trinity. The person's up in the tree. He sees him. And you know the rest of the story. Jesus has a choice. He could keep going. Good choice. Or there's a miracle right there. Something caused that guy to climb the tree to look at him. And he diverts his attention over to Zacchaeus. And you know the rest of the story. That's an illustration. There's a a number of them. Jesus is at the well. He's getting water. And he's at the well. And a woman comes by. And she is a number of pails. And she is about to take it back to her village. And Jesus recognizes, though he has water. And he's hungry because the disciples have gone into town to get some food. He's hungry. That's the normal course of action. Good choices. But a woman is right there serving, getting some water. Miraculous choice right there. He's got to make a choice. Which one will he make? He turns over to the woman and enters into dialogue with this woman regarding a water that will satisfy her beyond what she's got. Jesus is in a house. He's teaching. And he's he's surrounded with some high-octane conversations. There's Pharisees, Sadducees, bunch of people around and and so he's in teaching in this this teachable moment and stucco begins to come off the ceiling 
Now, he's doing a good thing. He's teaching. He has a Bible study. There could be people who are ready to surrender their life and faith at the end of the Bible study. But he has a choice because somebody's coming through the roof. Literally. This lame man's brought in on a stretcher. And Jesus heals. A miracle takes place. But Jesus doesn't heal the man. If you read the text, he doesn't heal the man based on that man's faith. Jesus, his eyes are fixed on the guys who brought him down. You read it. It's their faith that healed that man. In opportune time, times of distraction, times that don't make sense, they're, irrit they're irritants in your life. But you have a decision to do good or the decision to do miraculous. And Jesus flows and does a miraculous miracle. It's late at night. The stories are on and on. You can pretty well read every one of Jesus' stories. Look at it through different lens. And then put yourself there. So Jesus, it's late at night. He's just had to spend a whole day confronting people who are opposing him. Now, there's been miracles. There's been people who've been cast, demons cast out. It's been a good day for the kingdom of God. But it's been a draining day for the kingdom of God as well. He has been fighting Sadducees, Pharisees. He's been fighting uh, zealots of the law, scribes, priests. And late at night, another Pharisee comes to him. Quite frankly, do you think he's tired of them? He's been fighting them all day. They've been trying to trip him up in his words. They've been trying to trap him. A Pharisee comes at night. Now, Jesus could keep doing what's good, but there's a Pharisee that comes at night, and this is a little different because this Pharisee didn't come in the daytime. He came at night, and he's asking questions. All the others are asking questions, but he's not posturing because there's nobody else around to posture to. Jesus recognized there's a need right here. And he moves at the nudge of the Holy Spirit out of his nighttime activities and swings over to this one Pharisee. His name is Nicodemus. You know the story. He reached out to that man. And a miracle takes place. Jesus is in the crowd. And he's pressing through the crowd. People are pressing in, pushing, squeezing. And a woman who's been hemorrhaging for years touches the hem of his garment. And Jesus, in the midst of it, he's doing good things, but he stops. This miracle has his attention. It's a miracle in the happening. Here's the point. That we, when we are engaged in these things, when we begin to talk through these different steps, the steps where, first of all, start in the throne room of God. God, I come into your presence and I get into the word and I worship you. And begin to visualize. This is not visualization, but visualize what's happening. There's something happening in the spiritual realm when I begin to call on him. And when I read his word and I stand before him, it's not just God of, you know, he's out in the fourth planet down past the next galaxy. He's really here. Just as Isaiah saw him and his presence is all around me. And begin to realize that. And then out of that realization, you, Lord, here am I, send me. I don't know what you've asked for yet, but here am I, long to be sent. Please use me today. God, I want a miracle to flow through. Your miracle. I want to be just a part of that miracle. Pre-committing myself that, God, when you nudge me, I'm not going to come up with an excuse. And then lastly, I activate my faith. I really believe you can use me. I really believe that everything that needs to be accomplished is right here. I really believe that. I put my faith into action. And fear, you will not rise up and take over. And then realize you're going to be in inopportune circumstances when that happens. For instance, for you, it might not be, you know, a man in a tree or a woman at the well or somebody coming through the roof or somebody coming at night. To you, it might be during your child's basketball game. 
And it's not about the basketball game. To you, it might be when you're at the store and you're running late to grab a few supplies for supper. And it's not about picking up the supplies today. There's a miracle just right near you. For you, it might be when you've used up all the last of your energy. When you're in the middle of an important assignment. Maybe you're doing the work for God on the way to church. Like the priest or the Levite when there was a man, a Samaritan, or a man who was beaten and a Samaritan would look after him. And maybe we settle in for a busy, you know, it's been a horrible week, it's been a hard week, and we're just chilling out for the weekend. And it's right during that time, a miracle opportunity slides by. That's when they show up. And that's when Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8, when Isaiah heard the voice of the Lord, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And may there be a resounding crowd rise. It starts with me. Here am I, Lord, send me. Because I pre-committed, established it early, anticipated that nudge. And when it happened, I knew exactly what he wanted me to do. I want to talk about in the weeks ahead, I'm going to talk about there's two fundamental things that we are called by God to impact people's life. One has to do with the area of forgiveness, pain, and wounds of the heart. And the other has to do, believe it or not, with finances of how God sends us to people. It tends to be one of those two main areas. Again, I'm going to talk about that next week. But I want to close with that. That we would come to that place where we read the story. If I'm going to commit everything to God, then it starts with me saying, here am I, send me. Every day. Not just today. So we can do it today, Sunday, you know, September the 29th. We can do it today, but that's not enough. It's like later today when we're driving home, just remembering, oh yeah, Lord, here am I, send me. I'm, I'm serious. I really do want to be open to this. When you get up in the morning, you begin to set the stage. You get into the place of worship, to his word, get before God. Your heart begins to generate faith. You see how great God is, how wonderful he is. And then just let it flow out of that. Oh, God, I now commit to you. Here am I. Here, please use me today to touch somebody's life. And I know if we took time here to talk, there's a number of testimonies when we think have come out of the readiness to be a miracle worker for God. Why don't we see miracles? Could it be we've not had time in this throne room? And so when situations come, we're not ready. And we blame him. We blame others. But I'm convinced every single child, follower of Jesus Christ, it's all, if you are a follower, the commission is here. Who will I send? Who will I go? Who will go? And may we be quick to say, here, my Lord. Don't know who it is, what it is, where it is, how. But send me, and I look for it today and again tomorrow and every day. Let's pray. Father, God, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, that this illustration of here my send me is an illustration that continues with the depths of what it means to be fully committed, what it means to be all out for you, what it means to have a heart that is drawn after you. And so, God, I pray for each man and woman here this morning. I pray for each teenager. Age is no barrier. There's no barrier on, 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 on how we're gifted. That, Lord, when you call, when you put out the appeal, who will go? That, Lord, you have given us the capacity to do great things for your kingdom. Lord, the illustrations are just so many, just like Bruce, just like that illustration where he just knew that he knew 
that this was an answer to an earlier prayer. That God, we know that we know that this is an answer to prayer. And so, Lord, I pray, may you find here with us this morning men and women who say, here, my Lord, send me. That we rearrange our schedules every day, putting up those opportunities. Here, my Lord, send me today. God, I come with expectation today. God, my faith goes before me today. Lord, I have belief that you will do exceedingly beyond what I can see right now today. And God, opportunities. And I pre-commit to do it. I pre-commit my yes to you. I'm not going to put conditions around it. I'm not going to come up with, uh, with, with arguments around it. But Lord, I will do. Just as you've called me to do. Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the Aurora Cornerstone podcast. Remember to subscribe. For more information about our church and our ministries, visit auroracornerstone.ca.